Blog Talk Radio. We're Time. I thought I'd do a special show tonight. I, it's a, always a developments going on, especially when you're at, being an advocate and an activist and staying involved as much as possible, hopefully getting the message out, all of those wonderful things. So I have the good fortune to run across some really marvelous people, and uh, Macy Tomlin and Matt Call recently, and uh, I thought... It, I uh, go to Macy and see if she'd like to do a show, for example. And uh, then uh, I was introduced to Mac Hall on the basis of a show I just did Sunday. Uh, and we were Facebook friends, but you know, you know, uh, in the world of activism stuff, you, you make connections, you're trying to network, particularly when people find each other on the same pages and talking about the same thing. Or I might write an article, or they might have a post. You know, so so I. I was suggested to me that I talk to him because of, of this particular show that we're doing about plant medicine. And I didn't know exactly who the person was, uh, the background, uh, just a little bit. And so when I got the bio, I was really impressed. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. We're going to start that uh, here uh, coming up in a few minutes. And, and as usual, we'll cover some of the recent events or goings-on you know, the the rant portion of the show, as they say. So the and – and this is always relevant to a lot of these shows, uh, certainly uh, to a number of the shows on Coffee Party Radio Network, but more so it is important to us, of course, uh, as a society, you know, what's going on, what is our government doing. 
you know, the thing that's that always distresses me when it comes to particularly for partisan, as everybody knows that listens to the show, I'm not just nonpartisan, I'm anti-partisan. I just I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I, I think that it is a job as, of a journalist and an advocate to shine the light on what the government is doing. And if it's good, you applaud. And if it's not, you try and change it and you highlight it. And, of course, there's tons of corruption to deal with all the time. But one of the things that the partisan rhetoric does, the partisan fight, the righteousness fight does, in my view, it makes you lose sight of the bigger picture. And it also makes us more apathetic, in my view. Because, you know, and, and I think that we just got a really good observance of that with the election of President Obama. If you, those of you who support him that listen to this show and support the Democratic Party, let's say, or whatever, you know that President Obama made a number of promises prior to being elected on the campaign trail, similar to what we've just experienced with President-elect Trump and every other presidential election that's ever been in the history of this country. But it's interesting because one of the major things that were going on was, of course, Iraq and Afghanistan, the cost of war, the anti-war movement was rolling strong, Occupy was out there. There was a lot of advocacy going on, particularly about anti-war. And and I am really, I, I raise that a lot, foreign policy, et cetera, because while we listen to presidential elections and they always talk about the economy, they focus so much about the economy, the one area that the president pretty much does whatever he wants and has control of is foreign policy. And we've created a big shift away from the discussion. It used to be talked about a lot in elections, a lot more in elections, you know, and, and a lot more besides, oh, let's go get ISIS. You know, I mean, pretty much that's what we dealt with, or let's, you know, the, the, let's create the Cold War again. So when the President Obama became president, and then, then he comes and, and wins the Nobel Peace Prize, which was ludicrous in my view, particularly the timing of it. I mean, he hadn't done anything yet. And the anti-war movement and the, the government accountability people that were out there from the left decided to take a take a break. And in the last eight years, we've seen our civil liberties contract uh, protections from the Constitution contract immensely, just like we did under the previous president in Bush and the previous president in Slick Willie and the previous president before that, the spy, and, of course, in St. Reagan. We'll just cover my adult life. We don't need to go any further back than that. You know, the 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 amount of – I mean, what we're looking – I mean, the Fourth Amendment is, is essentially they're trying to make it obsolete. You know, I guess we're going to have it as a, you know, a wall poster of what things used to be like. You know, if you go back all the way to, to the Foreign Intelligence Act under Carter, you know, and then, of course, it was enhanced into the Patriot Act under Bush, and then you add the indefinite detention provision of the NDAA that was passed under Obama and signed by him, and it is repeatedly passed and signed for since it was introduced in 2011, you know, just those things alone should scare the hell out of everybody. And yet, here comes Donald Trump. You know, and and mind you, my personal opinion of Donald Trump's campaign is that it was lunacy, but with brilliant lunacy. Obviously, we are we have short attention spans. We reality TV base that's been going on since you know Jerry Springer, for example. You know, all 
Judge Judy, all those absurd, not real reality shows. And Donald Trump ran his campaign like he was on Rush Limbaugh radio all the time. I mean, that's essentially what happened, and people gravitated towards it, and he was elected. So we have watched all of these, you know, the, the indefinite detention of the NDAA always concerns me, and here we have a president that has been talking about, you know, registering and locking up uh, the Muslim community, for example. You know, and he has the power to do it, from a statutory standpoint now, whereas Roosevelt, when he did the internment camps against the Japanese, uh, Japanese citizens, not against Japanese, but Japanese citizens, and, and it shouldn't even be that. that. That's another, you know, of course that bothers me, and that's how racism is and everything. It, it was American citizens. I don't care what their ethnicity was. American citizens were put in internment camp without due process, period, on the basis of where they came from or what their ethnic background was. But these were all American citizens, the Italians, people that they did, the, the German people that they did, the Japanese people that they did. They locked, they put through in camps. And who cares? You know, and everybody went along with it, the executive, the legislative, and the courts until further notice. And, of course, we now have this death of detention. So here we have a, a person coming in who full on the labeled right and left think he is absolutely dangerous and yet we've just handed him over all this power that you know I, I did a I did a presentation in front of a city council in Albany New York a couple of years ago about uh, three years ago I want to say we had uh, I belonged to an organization called Panda People Against the NDAA and we had proposed resolution that we've had passed in multiple jurisdictions in the country. And, and I happened to go to Albany to talk to the council about, about our resolution and luckily, and we did get it passed 11, 0 I might add, but well, in my statement that I made, I, I was watching it the other day cause we filmed it. And I was watching and, and, and president Obama made a signing statement when he signed the indefinite detention provision or signed that year's NDAA, which had the indefinite detention provision. And he acknowledged that exists. And he said, well, I would never use it. And I was telling the city council, well, he made this statement, but of course we all know that he will not be president of the United States forever. And while I was saying that because I was talking to an ideological left panel and it was strategic, the point now is in our faith. We may have somebody who might take advantage of this. And, of course, it was signed by President Obama and it was passed by that Congress and we have just let it go. Well, not everybody, of course, but, you know, from a societal standpoint, it never get talked about. They don't talk about that in mainstream media. It doesn't happen. So uh, to me, the, the partisan thing, getting back to what I was saying, to go around, around the, the circle here, is you, ha- you have a situation where people will become apathetic. So now the Trump supporters are going, oh, all happy and, you know, make America great again. What is it? <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not even going to get into the great again, if it was ever great, whatever. But it's important to note that if you go with the rhetoric side of it and and you don't have any, you know, you just you just look at, you don't have a personal opinion of Trump, Donald Trump, but you want to take other people's word for it. Let's say some of the left media. Well, I'm sorry, but you just handed him all this, all this drone warfare that was supposed to be stopped as a, as a campaign promise was expanded tenfold for example, 
And then, of course, I, I was watching a conversation. <sighs> anyway, as I was watching a Facebook conversation on the basis of a post, and, you know, and people, and we talk about the drones or you talk about the bombs, you know, there was 26,000-plus bombs dropped on seven countries minimum. That's the minimum of what happened. All the data is not in, but there was 26,000 bombs in 2016 drops. So people, well, it's better than having soldiers. Well, of course it's better than having soldiers do it, but it's better not to do it. I mean, it, it's like uh, let's compromise. It, you know, it, it's like we we used to watch police officers beat up Rodney King, and now we're watching police officers shoot Rodney King. And we don't even argue or have a debate anymore about the beating up part because we've compromised that all the way to the shooting part because that's the way society has turned. This blows my mind, you know, and, and I'm, I, all of this is important relative particularly to, for example, our subject and how from a corruption standpoint and from a civil liberty standpoint, liberty, period, we have a government that is refusing to allow us to take care of ourselves properly with natural medicines. And what's interesting about what we're going to get into tonight because it's an expansion of the normal you know, herbal alternative doctor thing that's also expanded to the fact that you can't buy drugs from Canada in, in this country and that uh, the FDA uh, doesn't, well, the government doesn't allow for any negotiations with big pharma in order to take care of the pharmaceutical prices running through Medicaid and Medicare. All of these things are part of this problem and issue as far as us standing up. And, and it is People are dying. I say, I say this all the time. As a result of this, people are dying. And they're dying on the – one of the ways they're dying. A lot, people are dying in a lot of ways. That's being caused by government, our government. But one of the ways this is happening, of course, is with the big pharma controlling – what we're being able to put inside our bodies to help us. And then, of course, you know, I, I, for the older people who know what the Flintstones are, and, I, I, you know, for the millennials that are watching, look it up. What can I tell you? Every time I talk about these subjects and every time I talk about Big Pharma, I, I have this vision. There was an episode of the Flintstones where Fred thought that Wilma was – trying to kill him in order to collect on a life insurance policy. And so he, they were going to come over and do a review of him. You know, he, he, the story with life insurance got to make sure that he's covered, you know, he, he can be covered. What was really happening is that he was getting a, a physical, he's supposed to get a physical to determine if he should get a promotion at work. So anyway, so the way that him and, and, and neighbor Barney set it up was he put him in a wheelchair and Barney was his nurse. And every so often during the, interaction between him and this doctor or this not a doctor but the the person who was doing the evaluation for the life insurance barney would walk in like two or three times and, and yell out pill time and he would take a cup of pills and he would throw it in fred's mouth and and, it, and my vision had me it took like 10 seconds for the pills to get into his mouth and somebody threw them so every time i hear about this issue ptsd and 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 the way that all of these mental health things and all of these, it's not just mental health, and all of these physical things that are going on because we had some of the people that were on, on Sunday that was talking about them. I think of that as a glaring example of the absurdity of what we're dealing with in our society. As I mentioned this past Sunday and I've mentioned before, I, I was able to confront Senator Isaacson here in Georgia, my wonderful senator, 
in Georgia, and I was able to confront him, and we were able to get him on film. And I asked him the question about this. I said, you know, particularly with veterans, and me being a veteran as well, I, I, I'm always trying to figure that one out. And I asked him, I said, so what, is, what do you plan on doing, And you know, when people who live in states that have legal access to cannabis and the veterans are going to the VAs and they're being piss tested and they're failing and their VA uh, uh, benefits are taken, being taken away from them, and, and yet cannabis helps PTSD as good as anything other than the other natural plant medicines that work better, for example. And he, you know, he had the audacity to tell me that nobody's ever asked him that question. Or meanwhile, he's heading, he, you know, he's the head of the veterans. <laughs> the Senate. What, what can I say? So anyway, so I digress. So, so, so that, that's how I'm going to start this show. And I want to, I want to get into this, but I have to. One of the things I'm going to do on this show, particularly because of the wonderful two guests that are having on is that that I'm going to read their whole bio and and it's lengthy. So be patient, uh, particularly Matt. And I want to read it. And the reason I'm doing that is because when we get into these subjects tonight, I want people to understand under no uncertain terms that the people on this show know what they're talking about. This isn't some, you know, because you may have heard me say recently, you know, I'm tired of the argument. I'm tired of the debates. Well, you, there's this reason why it shouldn't be legal, and there's this reason why we shouldn't have access to it. Uh, and none of those reasons are valid. They're just not. I, it doesn't matter what it is. Christie's gateway crap, uh, the law enforcement gateway crap, the prison stuff. I, I don't want to hear it. All these people have a self-interest in, in having it done the way they want to have it, the way it is now. It has absolutely no basis in fact. I'm sorry. It just does not. These things have been going on for thousands of years, and all of a sudden, the United States of America, they can't since, what, 1930 or whatever. That's when it started anyway, or whatever the exact year is. It's ludicrous, and I am so past that. So it might be one of the areas that I will develop into being not civil, hopefully not, but because I, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear from the politicians. I don't want to hear from the news people. I, I don't want to hear from advocates. I start, you know, I'm, I'm going to go at it with it's one of the areas that I'm going to be righteous in, but hopefully I'll be able to explain myself. But I, I, these particular subjects that we have. So I want to talk about first Matt Cow because I read his bio for the first time today. And, I, you know, again, like I said, I didn't realize how extensive he, he was involved in this. He was explaining it to me the other day. And, and then with the bio really gives me an idea of his education. That, that's what one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Because like I said, I want everybody to understand that the Macy and Matt on this show, they know what they're talking about. So I'm going to start with Matt's bio. So Matt was born a military brat in the heart of a nation's military industrial complex, Washington, D.C. But he lived the majority of his young life overseas in a succession of countries as a tiny minority in an overwhelming foreign land. His birth and upbringing gave him an idea that America was a little outside the ordinary, typical American experience. His older brothers had attended private institutions for college, but he went to a state school partly because it was much more affordable. He saved money working for Tokyo Disneyland in junior and high school. So he had a small nest egg to get him through for a while until he figured out what to do. His concentration in college was behavioral neuroscience. And he worked in a lab on campus guiding rats through tasks, performing stereotactic surgery on their brain and sectioning for study in doctor's rules, I hope I said that right, study, 
which can be found at www.ncbi.nlm.nih.gov forward slash pub med, P-U-B-M-E-D, forward slash 9184105. It was basic work in the field, but this period of time taught him so very much. In his spare moments, he studied psychopharmacology. And that's important to highlight that, people. He studied psychopharmacology of the endoalkalimine, and I know I didn't say that right, hallucinogenic, and ECB receptor chemistry, which is important in this discussion. He discovered the sacred medicinal plants in college and studied them both academically and experientially. First, cannabis, then mushrooms, cacti, and various tropical shrubs. He, he, he says that they were incredible experiences and he never thought of them as capable of healing spiritual wounds before doing them. He now says they, they healed him despite his ignorance as he had some trauma growing up. He eventually got out of college but changed course to take classes in audio engineering and worked as an engineer for Audio Genesis in Wilmington, North Carolina for a while. 9-11 occurred shortly after graduation, and it changed many of our lives. Absolutely. It certainly did mine. I lost a cousin. I had just moved out of an apartment on Maiden Lane in Manhattan's financial district, only about a block and a half from the towers. Amazing. It felt like they were attacking his home when he watched those planes crash into the, into the World Trade Center. He immediately wanted to strike back, but like many Americans, the distractions of life during youth were bad for a while. When his first son was born, his life changed, as you know, like mine did, of course. That, that's a wonderful thing. He had something to fight for now, and, and he was ready and willing to uh, sell his life to purchase his family's life, lives in return. So he went to war in the 101st Airborne Infantry, Air Assault, Screaming Eagles, the storied Band of Brothers, was his battalion. His first deployment came in a few months after arriving at his unit from basic training, Enough time to complete the training courses for urban ops, assault and coordination of live fire, small unit tactics, long-range marksmanship, communications technologies, weapon systems, basic Pashto language, and Afghanistan theater of operations training. His first deployment was combat, quite a bit of it. Most of his missions, whatever they were, have started out as, ended up as a movement to, to contact. They were co-located with the 10th Special Forces Group, FOB Kuspak was named after a 10th SFG soldier killed during combat operations on November 10, 2007. Just a short distance up from the southern end of the Tagab, the Tagab Valley from the FOB. We spent a lot of time in firefights, he says. The enemy didn't give up easy, turn, tail, and run. They didn't spray and pray. They aimed and they judicially used snipers and small unit tactics to engage him. They hunkered down and fought. They moved to. Uh, they moved on their position and attempted to flank and destroy them. The fighters in Afghanistan were different than in Iraq. He thought he was. He thought he was fine after coming back. It took eight months for him to commit suicide. And I, I, I read that and it just took me aback. I said, "Wait a minute." And he said, instead of dying as intended, he woke up in a hospital ICU 48 hours later. He got, a, he got out of ICU a week later. He was deployed to Afghanistan again just eight months after that. This time it was even worse. He was injured on a combat QRF patrol and received a medevac. He didn't want to go, but the military was sensitive about TBIs at the time. 
with his face cracked, mixed ocular mydriasis and meiosis, and a positive Romberg, they refused his request to stay and fight despite his violent resistance to the idea of banding his brothers. He was labeled resistant, a problem. Came back to Fort Campbell Warrior Transition Unit in December 2010, two years after his first suicide attempt. Broken beyond anything. He could have imagined be he could have managed before. Beyond his own body's injuries, he came back changed in ways he couldn't quantify and couldn't understand. The standard military treatment regimen. This is a, this is a very important line. This uh, it's stored line. I, I didn't mean to say it that way, but this is a very important part of what he was talking about. The standard military treatment regimen put him into a cage with bars made of pills and pharmaceutical regimens, and in his own house, his own house became his prison. PTSD and TBR are extremely isolating conditions for many reasons. Cannabis set him free from that prison, but although the prison door was open, his ankle still seemed chained to the bench. He became the cannabis evangelist, is how he describes it, spreading the good news to all of his veteran brothers and sisters. He found that cannabis helped, but it wasn't the end game for PTSD and isolation for veterans. Cannabis is the safest and best Band-Aid there is, but to maintain effectiveness, continued use is needed. I found that there were other tools out there. Ayahuasca and other Indo... I'm going to just have him do it. Indolalkylamine, containing plant medicine, wow, are breaking that cycle of dependency and finally allowing him the freedom to explore his own consciousness and spirituality in a way he had never been allowed to before, giving him the option of using cannabis when he really needs it instead of every day or when he's not okay. Instead of covering it up, it allowed him to dredge up, wrestle with, and then purge the demons he'd been fighting for so long, both the ones he'd been fighting with since military service and the other ones he'd been struggling with all his life for the military. He was fractured and stunted, he says, and uh, he's unifying it all and growing. What these lessons are teaching him is that all these other veterans and families and civilian supporters and the community that we are building here in, he is building here in Colorado, or they are building here in Colorado, are the best medicine that anyone could ask for. These people have healed him far more than any plant ever will, but the plants led me to the people. These are safe, effective treatments for physical and psychological issues. They are tools, just like any other. We need access to every tool we can if we, can, if we are to stop 22-plus veteran suicides a day. That is how important that is. And, and, and as I said, I wanted to read that, and I'm going to bring him in just a minute, and then I, I want to get also into, into our other guest, Macy Tomlin. Because, again, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing here at the beginning of the show is I want everybody to know how much these people know about this issue. That it's not that we're, we're just – it amazes me how, of course – we spend so much time talking about activism and being advocates and people, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a doctor and, or you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're just trying to smoke a joint. And that, that's another reason why I have no, I have no patience for a lot of this stuff is because we all know that doctors are prescribing medical cannabis, for example, to everybody because they just want to help people get high. So anyway, so I happened to meet Macy Tomlin. I, I saw some things that she was doing. I reached out to her. I wanted to talk to her. I, I've known about this work both Matt and her are doing from my association with uh, Amber Lyon, as we talk about in other ways relative to her career, because she has been working on this stuff for a long time. So let me tell you a little bit about Macy. 
So for years, Americans have turned to the pharmaceutical companies for a solution to their unhappiness. According to a, a report published to published by the Journal of American Medical Association, the percentage of Americans taking antidepressants nearly doubled between 1999 and 2012. Today is an estimated that one in every 10 Americans take an antidepressant. Macy has been an advocate for the therapeutic properties of psychedelics for six years. However, over the past year, after my first ayahuasca ceremony, I've become more interested in the growing rate of depression and anxiety in Western cultures, and she believes that with scientific studies underway, more people will be turning away from the pharmaceutical companies and towards psychedelics to relieve in a turmoil. She lost a close member to suicide at the age of 12 because of the antidepressant Paxil, and because of that, she's driven to help others find an actual cure for depression. She wants to discuss the studies done that have concluded Americans have a tendency to hide their emotions rather than face them, and that may be the reason why so many individuals find themselves masking their emotions with antidepressants. She wants to talk about the risk of using antidepressants versus the risk of experimenting with psychedelics, and she would also like to discuss her plan to build a wellness center in Acapulco, Mexico, that centers around the use of ayahuasca and and possibly MDMA therapy as well. And as everybody knows who listens to this show, I am absolutely a supporter of that therapy and Emmanuel Safarius, who just made a documentary about that relative to this. So with with that introduction, I want to bring, first let me introduce you to Macy. How are you, Macy? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you for coming on to the show. I really, really appreciate it. I, I really like the subject uh, for our society, and I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's becoming more accepted in society now, especially with the scientific research underway. So I- I'm really grateful that you're having me on um, because I- I've been trying to uh, talk about this as much as I possibly can. Um, in fact, I've met a lot of people uh, while I'm still in the United States who are taking antidepressants and hopefully turning them on to a different route, although that route is still illegal. Uh, currently in the United States. Right. Yeah, we do like to, the government does like to interfere in in ways that just don't make any sense. That is so true. I want to bring in Matt and introduce him to everybody as well, and then I want to get into our discussion. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. So, what I want to do is, Macy, with you first, is I, I mean, it, obviously, both of you have talked about in, in just your bios that I just read about your personal journey, but I want to get to a little bit more So before we get into the nuts and bolts. So, Macy, talk a little bit more about your journey from where you were and where you are. Um, well, I, I suppose it starts when I was a child. Um, most of my family uh, started taking antidepressants uh, around the year of 2000. And um, I lost my grandmother to suicide uh, in 2002. Uh, she was taking the antidepressant Paxil. And um, the rest of my family stayed on antidepressants. I mean, I guess we weren't, we weren't understanding, you know, even though it's black box and it said, you know, it says right on the label, you know, that there could be a risk for suicide. Um, my, some, some of my family members continue to take antidepressants. Um, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16 years of age after a 30-minute diagnosis uh, from a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Uh, She put me on Zoloft, 
and um, within a month I was, I was showing signs of uh, suicidal tendencies. So, um, you know, I was, I was taken off of that and I, I haven't been on any other medication since, um, but the depression didn't stop. Um, and then I was introduced to psilocybin mushrooms when I was 19 years uh, old and I was given a, uh, quite a big bag of them. And I started to, in a sense, kind of irresponsibly experiment with them. Um, and I would take a half eighth up to an eighth uh, every day for three months. And in this time, I learned um, that I was very good company. You know, I really learned how to love myself in this time. And I was taking a fairly low dose. Eventually, you don't hallucinate anymore. You just kind of have an all-around, you know, it's kind of like the tolerance to, to marijuana. I, I can kind sure. of explain it as um but you you still have this all-around awareness and um so I, I did that for three months and then i started to experiment with other psychedelics such as lsd um a little bit more regularly and then eventually i, I moved up to dmt which which was in, incredibly mind-blowing I, I dmt is much different than you know lsd or psilocybin um in in the sense that you kind of go you know you're kind of pulled within your own mind um, and, you know, and it, the visuals are all within, within you instead of, you know, looking at, at the outside world. But throughout all of this therapy that I've done, I've, I've estimated that I have uh, experimented with certain psychedelics over 200 times in the last um, what, what will be now seven years. Um, my last, um, my, I, I've kind of turned my attention towards ayahuasca because ayahuasca has a healing potential that I, have, I haven't found with the other psychedelics. Um, I've had to use, um, you know, psilocybin and LSD and um, even DMT, the smokable kind, because, you, you know, it's only a 10-minute trip. You can't really take too much from it. So my attention has right. turned to ayahuasca because um, it, it was with my ceremony, and I've only done one, and I'm going to Peru on Friday to do another five ceremonies. Um, but it was with ayahuasca that really, really altered my perception of the world and, and really helped me to eliminate um, you know, depression for, for good, uh, real, made me realize my true potential as a human being. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've become so passionate about this because it wasn't the antidepressants that helped me. That, that helped to mask my emotions. But what psychedelics have done for me, and, and not all my trips are good. Uh, I, sometimes I have to face things. But, but what's so beautiful about facing your issues is that's where the potential is for change. And so that is what I'm trying to advocate for, for psychedelics, um, MDMA has been a big therapy tool in 2016 for me because it helped me to open my heart. You know, it's not just a rave, rave drug. Um, it really does help you to become empathetic and forgiving. And um, I, I've, been using that, I, I've been using that a lot more in 2016, um, I, and I hadn't been using it for, God, I would say six years. And so I've kind of been introduced back to MDMA, so now I'm you know, uh, talking more about MDMA therapy. Uh, I'm just advocating the use because I believe that within these psychedelics, we can actually find a cure to our inner turmoil uh, by facing those issues. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and we'll get into some more of that. Matt, I, I want to ask you, you know, you, your, your bio that you sent me is very open, so I, I feel since you did that, I can ask you a little, maybe a little bit more personal questions than I normally would. Uh, because you, 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 you put yourself, you basically make yourself completely transparent, which is a wonderful way to approach this, obviously. But, you know, you, you had mentioned to me when, when we spoke uh, prior to the show that 
you, speaking of MDMA, that you had some history in that as well. But what's interesting in your bio is that you first talked about your pre-military life, both from an educational standpoint and you also said this was some trauma, and then what happened in the military. And and I I just want to get into a little bit about your journey and have you talk about it and give us a little perspective. Sure. Um, Well, uh, growing up, uh, I had a a bit of a contentious relationship with my father. Uh, He was a 28-year veteran of the Marine Corps. He had deployed to Vietnam, and uh, he was a bit of an authoritarian. I'm very much... uh, a libertarian in, in a lot of ways. Um, I believe in sure. personal liberty, and and uh, I don't take kindly to um, authority, uh, especially when it's arbitrary authority. Um, so we we butted heads quite a bit, and um, uh, I have to say, you know, sometimes I I uh, I kind of asked for it. Um, there were there were some times where um, I definitely. Uh, instigated fights with my dad over uh issues of freedom and um and the more i get into the space of of dealing with um victims of ptsd or 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 patients of uh, with ptsd um the more i realize how many different causes there are for it and childhood trauma is probably number 1 on the list watching sure. death of a loved one is another uh one of the most common causes of PTSD, um, uh, sexual trauma uh, from childhood or from from uh, adult incidences, uh, is another huge cause of PTSD. And I'm realizing that this really isn't just a military issue. Um, this is right. really this is an issue that is prevalent throughout our entire society from top to bottom, and um, it, it, it's really prevalent in in poorer communities. Uh, there's a lot of trauma there, and and we're failing those people. We're failing a, a huge, huge population of, of Americans when it comes to PTSD and mental health treatment. We're shoving literally hundreds of pills down their throat every single day. And, um, I mean, I was on 18 to 22 different medications per month, and that was uh, heaping piles of pills three, four times a day. Um and that was for my PTSD and my related physical issues from from the medevac. But the the manner in which we're treating people with PTSD and trauma, depression, any of the the mental health issues, it's really a crapshoot. And that's the great secret today in America is that psychiatry really doesn't know what they're doing. They're sort of they, you give them a list of symptoms and they'll classify you into a category which they have a list of drugs for, um, both on label and off label, and uh, they'll just go down the list and they'll start prescribing you all those drugs. It's sort of um, it, it's a really random approach to medicine and it doesn't work. You're seeing the results of it um, every single day. I mean the the statistic of 22 suicides a day in military veterans now you know recently the uh they redid the study and they said oh it's closer to 20 but um to tell you the truth that really understates the magnitude of this problem uh there are 2022 uh, 2022 uh, uh, 20, <laughs> i mean come on people i mean what what uh, sorry go ahead 
Um, the, the, the 22 number is it, – it's, it's pretty much it, – it's sort of fabricated. I mean, they, they, uh, they come up with this number by um, judging whether a, 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 a death is actually a suicide or not, and sometimes that's not exactly clear. I know clearly sure. people that I, – I have known personally who have committed suicide via motorcycle accident that was – it was a single-person motorcycle accident where they drove into a stationary sign on the side of the highway at 100 miles an hour. I know they were suffering from PTSD because they were my friend and I talked to them about it. And um, this is common. This is common amongst everybody that, that suffers from PTSD. They they find ways. They find ways, and sometimes it's not always a way that includes a suicide note. Um, the number is far higher than, than 22, uh, and actually, sure. according to the National Institute of Health, in 2010, I think it's 2010, um, there was 112 people in the civilian population that committed suicide that year. And, you know, honestly, I, I wish that that was the end of it, but in 2014, they reported 117 that year, and to to, to tell you the truth, we go to um, websites like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and they say the average is actually 121 suicides a year. Mm. I mean, this is uh, this is shocking. I mean, the mental health side of our society has well, it's you know, you can go back when you study history. For example, very very good. A very good example of how the absurdity of our approach for it is uh, the way epilepsy was dealt with as as recent as the 60s, for example. My sister Patty uh, had epilepsy uh, in, in her life, and one of the things that they did was, you know, they well, they first would classify it as evil, that she has devil possession, this is how they would deal with it. And this is not even necessarily... You know, just a mental thing. I mean, obviously, this is this is uh, physical. You know, physical. Uh, but they would classify her as having the devil, and you know, they would do shock treatments, and they would tie people down. And and we know from uh, movies and from books and from studies that have and and from whistleblowers over the years the things that we've done in the mental health area. And then, of course, uh, when we were looking at mental health from a government standpoint to do something about it. They enacted some good, decent laws that were going to help that, and then the next president came along and had it repealed, uh, uh, and we haven't been anywhere near good mental health in any way. And I was just reading a story recently that said that uh, uh, was talking about there's more mental health patients in jail, for example, than there are mental health hospitals getting help. So you're talking about the drug aspect of it, and it's so much worse, even more than that, as I'm sure you guys know, and how society is dealing with this—it's—it's it's absurd to me. And Macy, what, what have you seen in that area? Well, in the area of mental health, they actually did a—they um, did a study um, at, where they uh, there was a particular man. He went into four different uh, psychiatrist offices, and he gave the same symptoms uh, to every psychiatrist, and they all came out with different um, diagnoses mm. for him. And so, and, and so then they were, they were diagnosing him and then, you know, prescribing him different medications. And the thing is that these psychiatrists, and it's even that they've even admitted this, that psychiatry, there is no cure. 
there is no mental health cure for, for with these these meds. These are these are literally things that that screw with your um your your chemicals in your brain. They don't really know and and, and the psychological effects of antidepressants, for example, um, it, it has not been really closely examined. And so they did a study, um, and I'm pretty sure it was done by uh, the University of Liverpool, um, but don't – no, it was. Um, and they they took a bunch of participants that had been on uh, antidepressants for a few years, and 82% of them said, you know, it did help eliminate their uh, depressive symptoms. However, 60% of those people said that it made them emotionally numb, and one-third of those people said that they were they were contemplating suicide. So – Yes, I, I do absolutely believe that, you know, the United States is taking the absolute wrong way to, um, and around the world, I think it's uh, 300 million people are on antidepressants worldwide. Um, so we are not dealing with this correctly. And I, I think that within, within the plants, I mean, we're looking for man-made um, material. Um, so all these, all these drugs are man-made. And I think that we're going to start, we're going to see a turn where people are going to start going back to plant medicine. I believe that a lot, a lot of these mental health issues have to do with people not understanding how to cope with their issues. Um, and that's another place where psychedelics come in. So you, you know, those negative emotions are brought to the surface and you can examine them. Um, I think that diet is extremely important and, you know, we've been fed genetically modified food um, and, you know, that isn't very good for our health. So I think what we're going to be seeing here is, you know, people are becoming more informed and, and, and turn, like I said, they're going to be turning their backs toward the pharmaceutical companies because antidepressants are not working. And, and obviously because we're, we're seeing so many people in, in jail uh, with mental, mental health issues. Uh, one other thing that right. they have not, you know, they don't cover on the media is a lot of these mass shootings that happen. The person was on an antidepressant. So what right. happens with the antidepressant this SSRI is that it ups the serotonin level so high and you'll hear a lot of psychiatrists. This is actually what happened to my grandmother. They'll just up the the prescription more. They'll up the dosage. And what then happens is that the serotonin levels reach a point where you literally go into psychosis. And that's where the people, you know, end up killing themselves. And so suicide uh, risks right now or rates are higher than car accidents. So there should be another alternative way to cure depression there should you know this should be an emergency at this point that that many people are are you know committing suicide and many of them are on antidepressants you know i i it's, it's crazy crazy and, and and totally sobering type things that need to be said and heard in our society i read an article recently about west virginia for example and there was the um, the amount of Pharmaceutical drugs like antidepressants um, and drugs, similar drugs with mental health issues that were sold in the state of West Virginia was, if you just take the population and you divide it uh, on an average, ridiculous. And, you know, Matt, you mentioned that you were taking 18 to 20. I I cannot imagine, and thankfully I I haven't had to deal with this, and and I don't want to downplay it at all, 18 to 20 drugs a day. Uh, yeah. It's more than once a day. It's insane to me. I just, and yet I know that this is a common thing that happens to, particularly to our veterans. But anybody with PTSD, as you, as you covered, talk a little bit more about that. 
Uh, well, I, I mean, as Macy mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the sorts of medications that are being prescribed, they don't, they don't even work for the, the conditions they're being prescribed for. Most of them aren't even supposed to be prescribed for that. Um, I had uh, diagnosed PT since my medevac um, in 2010. I, I suffered from it before then, but I only admitted it after my medevac. Um, but, you know, after I admitted that I had PTSD to my doctors, they put me on a very long list of off-label prescription medications. They were prescribing me gabapentin and um, trazodone and, and, and every, every type of, of neuroleptic drug you can possibly imagine that wasn't specifically approved for PTSD. It took them two years for them to prescribe me just one of the drugs that is uh, one of the two drugs that is approved for PTSD. And that was Effexor. Um, Effexor mm. upped my uh, suicide risk probably uh, by a factor of 10. I was extremely suicidal uh, while on it. I was aggressive. Uh, I was uh, violent sometimes. Um, I didn't have a lot of control over myself or um, my emotions. Uh, it, it, it managed to eliminate uh, a lot of the, the pleasure that I got out of life but it, it didn't manage to take away um, what it needed to in order to make my life livable. And as a result, uh, my quality of life suffered intensely. Uh, but, that. of course... I, um, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, I, at, at that point in time, um, I, I had lived in the illegal state of uh, North Carolina for, for um, mm. a couple years after I got out of the, the service. That's where... Um, you, I guess you could say I'm from, but um, I, eventually I, I decided to try um, plant medicine again, and um, I gave cannabis a shot. It immediately started helping me, and, and I, I moved to Colorado in order to get off the prescription medications, and in a large sure. part that, that that tactic work, uh, worked for me. Um, it uh, Within a period of about a year and a half or two years, I got off just about everything, and, and um, I'm, I'm more coherent now. I, when I was on the 18 to 22 different medications, I would literally be falling asleep in the middle of my sentences, um, waking up, talking nonsense, and then if somebody questioned me about it, I would get extremely angry and, um, and, and sometimes violent. You know, I'd start hollering and, and screaming at the walls. Um, simply because I, I didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, it was a horrible place to be, and it was a horrific state to live in. And it, it wasn't just horrific for me, but I really truly believe that what happened to me caused my entire family to have secondary PTSD as a result. They watched me go through this, and they watched me be a horrible, evil person for a little while. And... As a result, they uh, they were scared of me, straight up. They were scared, and and I can't apologize to them enough for that. Yeah, you know, no, no doubt. And and I want to get into some other things with you relative to your move, as well. You know, it, it, I'm glad we we went down this road initially. And and I, again, my 
purpose of making sure that everybody knows about you guys' background and, and stuff is to understand that you guys know what you're talking about. And, 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 you know, what screams at me is, you know, here we are. Now we'll get into the advocacy side and the activist side and, and, and the future, what holds for you both. Uh, it, you know, you, you were inspired personally differently. Well, let's say I am. I, I have... I, I, I was not in wartime military when I was in, you know, uh, when I, I was in in the beginning of Reagan's presidency, and it was kind of quiet from the standpoint of having to fight face-to-face with anybody or having to be at war, thankfully for me. Uh, but I got to meet a lot of people. I mentioned to you, Matt, when we spoke earlier, I got to meet a lot of people who, of course, were coming out of Vietnam and, and were veterans because it was only, a few, you know, I figure seven years since Vietnam was over with when I was in, so that that more like five years people being uh, out of those areas. But you'd both uh, have personal experiences that inspired you to be activists. So Macy, I want to talk to you about where you're going with this. I know it's so important. What you're going to Peru, like you said on Friday, and and some other plans that you have that I talked about earlier. And I want you to get into, you know, that that journey as well. What has brought you to going to Peru? What what do you what are your plans are? What are your goals with what you're doing? Well, um, I definitely think my first ceremony with ayahuasca, when um, I I took my first brew um, with a shaman, under a shaman's care, um, in Acapulco, Mexico. And I think that's, you know, I have a beautiful community out there as well who have uh, moved from the United States um, and tried to, you know, get get away from the grips of the police state up here. And so, you know, I I feel very comfortable uh, down in Acapulco. And um, that's also where I experienced ayahuasca uh, first, so I have an emotional tug there. Um, it's also where uh, a conference is held every February called Anarcho Poco, um, and it is it was one of the the best conferences for anarchists, and we have tons of speakers. Um, so it's just in a good location, and I want to be a trusted source because after my first uh, ceremony, I realized that I was going to be working with the medicine. Um, I know. Um, you know, I've had my, my childhood was extremely traumatic. Um, I was run over by a lawnmower when I was four. Um, you know, my mom kind of had a, a mental breakdown by the time I was nine and, um, you know, there were no father figures around. So I had a pretty traumatic childhood. Um, and you know, it's taken me most of my twenties to heal from that. And, uh, through, through the use of psychedelic therapy, I really do feel like, you know, that has what, that is what has, has helped me in curing my anxiety and depression. I can say for a fact, you know, instead of, um, instead of masking my emotions when I, I call it seasonal sadness now, if I get, you know, sad, cause I don't deny those emotions. And I think a lot of people in, in, in the United States, they do. So instead of, you know, masking those, I actually, you know, try to pay a lot of attention to my emotions and understand, you know, why am I feeling this way and how, what can I do to change it? And why am I, you know, why am I, why is my mind reacting like this? And normally I can get down to the core of what the problem is and how I can change it. And I have to give psychedelics all the credit for that. So what I'm planning to do is um, I'm going to Peru uh, to meet my shaman this next uh, week. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, I chose this place, this retreat. Um, it's called Mayo Rio and it's near Aquitos, uh, Peru. And I chose it out of the heart. You know, I chose it from my heart. Um, I didn't really know much about the, the, the retreat in, it, in itself, but uh, looking it up, I found that it's, it's a wonderful retreat. It's actually got five stars. And um, I'm hoping that the shaman will take me under his wing um, after the conference in, in Acapulco this February for three months um, as an apprentice 
because I, I would like to in the future and I can't do it now because I, you know, I don't feel like I have what's necessary in myself to respectfully give this medicine out yet. Um, but my plan is to, after my apprenticeship, open up a retreat in Acapulco, Mexico, and be that trusted source. Because some people, you know, are afraid to go to Peru. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of articles out that say beware of shamans. So I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Um, sure. And I've, I've sure. undergone a few abusive relationships in my, in my entire life, and I know that that can cause a lot of trauma. Um, you know, the brain, the human brain, if you don't have acceptance and love, especially in early childhood, um, that's when mental health issues form. So my goal is to help these, help as many people as I can to, you know, reaching the core of their soul. I always call ayahuasca um, the master key to your mind's eternal library because you can get all the answers there. Anything that you want to know or anything that you, you need to know for life, you know, the healing that you need. Ayahuasca, I think, is, is one of the main keys. And, and as I mentioned before, I, I really do want to um, bring in MDMA therapy as well because some people, uh, there are particular you know, types of people who have extreme mental disorders that should not take ayahuasca. Um, it can actually induce a psychotic break. Um, so instead of you know, you know, shunning those people, I would, like to inter, you know, I would like to also incorporate MDMA therapy because with two hits of MDMA, you can cure post-traumatic stress symptoms by 95% of, of, of all those symptoms. So my goal in life is to help people heal um, because I believe, you know, I, I'm one of these people who believes that we can one day uh, live without a tyrannical government. However, before we do that, we need to find inner peace within ourselves first. And so what I'm trying to do with my life and, and what I've, you know, set my, my goals out to do is to help people find that inner peace. That's fantastic stuff. You know, it is. I was looking around, getting ready for the show. You know, I certainly am an infant when it comes to the knowledge that, in comparison to what you guys have, and and I I'm going to change some of that for sure. Uh, you know, but I I have been involved in a learning process. MDMA I've been been talking about for a couple of years now, in relative to the, the my involvement with the Manifest Ferris, and and he made the documentary, so he educated me a lot on on what it's about and the therapeutic aspect of it. And I know I mentioned to you, Matt, when when we were talking earlier about this particular gentleman and that, uh, and the Dance Safe organization that he founded that you were aware of. And, and I want you to get a little bit into, expand a little bit on the MDMA side of what Macy was talking about. Um, yeah, I, well, it, when I was in college, uh, it was sort of the, the the height of of what you might call the the quote rave rave movement in America. Um, there was um, a, a huge upsurge in the use of MDMA uh, recreationally, and um, I, I dabbled in it at the time uh, back in college, ninety five to ninety nine, um, around that that period of time. And um, although uh, I didn't see it as as um, a healing medicine or anything like that. I still managed to get the healing out of it, as we mentioned before. Uh, I managed to repair a lot of relationships that I had destroyed throughout my life, including the one with my father. Um, I reached out to my father again, and I started trying to build a relationship with him 
because it had completely disappeared. We just completely destroyed our relationship during my teenage years. And in fact, I, I even got kicked out of the house for a short period of time during high school. But, um, you know, it, it, I, it managed uh, to, to allow me to put it all in the past and, and simply forgive, not just, not just my father, uh, but myself too. And, um, and, and that was a, a really important step for me. Um, it wasn't the only thing that I, uh, experimented with in, in college. I mean, I used, uh, mushrooms also. Um, I, uh, took a, a quote, um, heroic dose of LSD, according to, to, um, Terrence McKenna, um, quite often, uh, and uh, that gave me quite a bit of healing also. It allowed me to separate the portions of my life that had really been just tangled up in trauma and hurt and pain and, and, and try to tease them apart and make sense of them and try to re-engage the people who had hurt me badly, the people who I had been involved with that, that I had hurt myself with. And... Um, it allowed me to, to, to forgive them and to forgive myself, too, in a lot of ways. Um, I experimented a bit with the cacti, um, with mescaline, uh, particularly extracted sure. from, from peyote. And, um, and I, I've only now recently come back to a lot of uh, plant medicines. Of course, I, 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 out, I just com- completely gave them up during my military career, of course, because, right. you know, well, so you've got to keep your head straight. Um, so I gave up everything during my military career. Um, but um, afterwards, uh, when I came back to plant medicines, uh, I really started experimenting with um, ayahuasca first. Um, ayahuasca, uh, well, that's not true. Um, DMT first. first. And um, after DMT, I tried ayahuasca with an Aklava Native American church uh, denomination, um, in May of last year, and in mm-hmm. I think it was June or July, I went down to Peru, and I took a undertook a ten day dieta with a Shipibo um, tribe shaman, uh, and uh, that uh, consisted of three separate ceremonies: the the um, the Onac Church, the Aklava Native American Church, uh, that was four different ceremonies, and um, after that. Uh, I undertook a ceremony with the Santo Daime tradition, which is a, a uh, Christianized uh, native Brazilian tradition. And um, uh, that was another ayahuasca ceremony. And at, then in October, uh, we held possibly the, the largest veteran plant medicine gathering in all of history um, that I know of. Uh, there's about 30 veterans who attended here in Colorado. And... Um, we we taught them and and administered to their needs with ayahuasca and and a number of other things. Um, combo is is a, a a toad or excuse me a frog venom, and um, uh, I forgot to mention also back in uh, August it was about July August uh, I went down to Mexico and I took iboga and Sonoran toad venom. Uh, Sonoran toad venom is primarily 5-methoxy-DMT. It's, it's an analog of DMT. It lasts slightly longer and has a, a very different effect. Um, I, my best description of it is kissing God. Um, it, it, it was pro- 
probably the most beautiful surrender medicine I've ever um, undertaken in my life. Iboga was one of the hardest plant medicines that I've undertaken in my life. It was 40 hours of of disorientation and um, um, a little bit of nausea. Uh, But believe it or not, uh, the effects are worth it. Despite the... Uh, the trials and tribulations while you're undergoing these these medicines, uh, you come out the other end vastly improved. There's there's something about them that allows you to take apart your life into little pieces, analyze all the little pieces, see how they fit together, and start adjusting them. Ayahuasca it's it's unique amongst all of the uh, the other plant medicines in that it's really a um, a combination of two different plant medicines together for a really advanced entourage effect of many different chemicals working together. There are at least three different MAOIs in the ayahuasca vine, and there are several different um, analogs of DMT in the chacruna that is also put into the brew. Um, One of the things that this does is uh, the chacruna has DMT in it, and that allows you to to take on the the psychedelic perspective in which you can you can really analyze your life in in a new and interesting way the m a o i it's it's really unique in 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 how it it simply just reaches in as you're analyzing all these separate pieces of your life and it just says, "Hey, listen, this is where you messed up. You just switch this up here, and that's how you fix it." It's really simple. It was my first ayahuasca experience, actually. Um, after I purged, I, I saw this this dark liquid in the bottom of my bucket, and um, I, you know, all of the uh, the hate and the anger and the, the pain came out of me when I when I hurled into that bucket, and um, I looked down on, at it, and I, I I just I thought to myself that that it was just it looked like a demon. It was this black evil thing that had come out of me and it was filled with all of this negative emotion and to me it was it was it was like a demon and i i sat there and i i thought to myself my god you know you did this to yourself and and, and not just you did this to yourself but you know what you did that to the demon too you stuck him inside yourself you imprisoned him in there and ever since he's been fighting to get out and that's why you're so messed up and when i got him out i i i saw him there and i said my god i'm so sorry i did this to you i'm so sorry what do i do what do i do to fix this and it actually responded to me and it said forgive yourself and it was so simple. It was the most rational thing I had ever heard in my life. And I stood up and I simply said, okay. And after that, I did. The amount of healing that I got off of that one ceremony, it couldn't have been accomplished with 10 years of psychotherapy. Not a chance in the world. This is the next answer for psychiatry. You know, it's amazing listening to the two of you talk through your personal experiences, how, you know, the healing that has happened, you know, I mean, people can say what they want, 
you know, they're, 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 well, I mean, what's the agenda here? You know, the agenda is like you basically was describing when you were describing, you know, what your goals are is to help people get to this point. I mean, you guys are ex- have experienced it, are experiencing it, and you come from a place personally that needed this kind of healing, and you've experienced it, and all you want to do is help people get there. And it, is, it isn't like we're big pharma trying to, Gain all this money. I did get a I did get a question, uh, Macy. I'll start with you from the chat room real quick. And they, we, as we were talking about MDM, MDMA, and we won't spend much time on that. But the one question was because you both mentioned it was, uh, can you can either of you address why MDMA is possible is a possible health risk and what is behind that, Macy? You go first. Um. Well, one is that you uh, you don't. <laughs> It's very, I I can't say hard, but, you know, you don't know, unless you know your source, you don't know what you're getting. And this is why I wish that we had a market where we were able to, you know, people were able to choose what works best for them. Because in a free market, you know, it would be easier to find MDMA that was pure. Um, So one risk is that, you know, um, it's not pure MDMA. It might be mixed with um, methamphetamines, Um, you know, Definitely, because you know it's it's not legal yet. If you are you know you're thinking about using MDMA therapy, start very low. If it's a pill, I I don't I don't recommend taking pill forms. Uh, the powder is is the best, and 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 it's normally the color of brown sugar. Um, that that's real MDMA. Um, other stuff is is just mixed. Um, so so. The, Biggest danger is that uh, you have a bad experience, I guess, or you can overdose. Um, I've taken too much uh, MDMA when I was younger, um, and, you know, I deeply regret that decision. But there is no evidence that it, it you know, makes holes in your brain. Uh, they just did a study on that, and, and there there is no risk that there's holes in your brain or that you're permanently, you know, damaged um, from using, you know, a, a, a safe dose of MDMA. Um, so the, the risks for, you know, uh, psychedelics and MDMA are, are much less than uh, shooting yourself in the head on antidepressants. I'll say that. Yeah, no, yeah there's no doubt. It, there's no doubt. And, and, and of course, the, the, you make a very good point, and I'm sure, Matt, you'll, you'll echo this, that the MDMA issue is more about it being in its purest form and finding the right product, which, which goes to my, my friend Emmanuel's Dance Safe organization that we, we were talking about earlier. I'm sure you, you, you have any other in, input on that, Matt, uh, what makes it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, uh, when I was in college um, was uh, sort of the time that Dance Safe uh, saw its, its, its genesis and, and zenith, I think. Um, and, uh, I, I was very aware of, of their mission and what they were doing. And I, I used their services a number of times when I was in college. Um, what I found is that during the early days of, uh, of my college experience, at least the, um, the ecstasy that was on the streets or the MDMA that was on the streets was actually pure MDMA. Um, as time went on, it became more and more adulterated and you saw, more and more um, fake MDMA on the streets. And, and a lot of times it's not just cut with uh, methamphetamine or anything like that. Sometimes it's not even the right chemical. Sometimes it's a very 
similar related chemical like MDEA or MDA, which are both much more, more similar in effect to um, methamphetamine than they are to ecstasy um, or, or right. uh, MDMA. Um, the uh, Dance Safe really, you know, they, they, they helped me come to the realization that, that uh, a lot of the stuff on the street was, was simply not, not good anymore. And I, right. I gave up um, MDMA for, for quite some time. I've only now started uh, investigating it again uh, because of all these, these, uh, these studies that are popping up. Uh, Multidisciplinary sure. uh, Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, they have been doing a number of, of clinical research studies on, on MDMA and its effects. Uh, they work with a, a guy here in Colorado by the name of Saj Razvi of Trauma Dynamics. And um, I've had dinner with him a number of times. He's doing some amazing work with um, guided psychotherapy under the influence of MDMA. Um, mm. This is uh, it's really groundbreaking Marvelous. stuff. And um, yeah, no doubt, the, no doubt. Uh, the, the health effects from, from MDMA, I mean, there are some s- small uh, amounts of neurotoxicity, but they're usually only an overdose, and uh, they're very easily countered. Um, there's also a small risk of uh, heart issues because it is a, um, a stimulant. It's a, a, a strong right. stimulant. It's in the amphetamine category. Um, so it does have uh, some effects on the heart if you have uh, issues with, um, uh, with cardiovascular problems and you're on heart medication. Uh, you definitely need to, to speak with a doctor before undergoing any kind of MDMA therapy. Um, however, it, it, it's not the only uh, psychedelic substance with some danger. Iboga is actually another. Um, ibogaine uh, can cause some um, heart issues. Uh, it can cause um, some uh, uh, irregularities in the beats of your heart. Um, so you have to be um, in good shape and, and not have any sort of a car- cardiovascular disease. Uh, however, even with these warnings... All these warnings. These psychedelic drugs are far safer than anything else in our pharmacopoeia. Mm-hmm. The, the the difference between the effective dose and the lethal dose for most of these drugs exceeds almost anything else on the market. So you have very, very safe substances. Psilocybin is almost impossible to overdose on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, LSD is is almost impossible to overdose on. Uh, right. right. DMT also, it, it's it's almost impossible to overdose on. So much so that really the the um, the lethal dose for 50% of the population, the LD50 for these drugs, it's really only mm-hmm. theoretical. It's the same thing for cannabis. Plant medicines are remarkably safe compared to pharmaceutical drugs, and mm-hmm. it's one of these things that. America just has to be educated on, and eventually we're going to start switching over from the big pharma method of treating our trauma and treating our depression, treating our mental illness, and we're going to switch to a more nat- natural method of doing things. You actually yeah, certainly, have to consume 37 pounds of psilocybin mushrooms to have an overdose. So uh, Matt is completely correct on on 
plant-based substances uh, versus the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You, you, you learn things. You know, I've been around this stuff. I, 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 I used to sell LSD 25 when I was a teenager, and, and of course, I, I used to drink shroom tea. I've maybe done it ten times in my life, mm-hmm. I'd say. Mescaline and peyote, all, all of that stuff. And, and I remember that information was there at that time. When, when, when Matt was talking about the, you know, you can't overdose unless you have this you know, exorbitant amount, like you just mentioned on the, on, on the mushrooms, for example, that information was known back then. I remember that. I remember the, you know, the, when, when you all talked about the dangers or the parents got involved or the old people got involved. Or the doctors, it was all known that these things didn't happen, and, of course, it all got silenced. And, you know, sometimes I think, to counter what, what Matt was saying, sometimes I, I think that this is more about, you know, of course we have, a, we have another generation that does have to be educated, but it's more about control. Farmers got it. The government made it illegal. It is what it is. And, and the, while the educational process is obviously needed, it, it's almost like a game because they should know what we're talking about. They're certainly as educated as we are. You know, they certainly, you know, the FDA is as educated as we are. You know, there's, there's, there's other agendas, tyranny, you know, or something, or whatever <laughs> it is. You know, greed, whatever the reason, I, I don't care. It, it, aliens, whatever. They all know what's <laughs> really going on here. I mean, I, I'm really, I, like I said, I've lost my, I've lost my patience with this. You've got to tell me, Macy, let me ask you. One of the things that that I want to educate on, <laughs> back to that point, is your interactions with the formal medical community about this subject and where they are with it and what some of their responses are, what the resistance are. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting because the reason why, I mean, you are absolutely right that they have absolutely done these studies. Uh, they were studying acid back in the 40s. Um, and mm-hmm. it was actually, uh, they were using fish and they were seeing, you know, like it, it, LSD affects like every kind of living thing. And so obviously they knew what, what the potential behind these psychedelics are. And the, the church and the government kind of teamed up together and said, um, we, mm. you know, in, in the 60s and 70s said, no, this creates spiritual chaos. So we have this, and I hate to, you know, um, group people together, but we have this generation of what I like to call baby boomer mentality and uh, mm. ones that have been, you know, kind of stuck in, and not everybody, but a lot, you know, some of these people who were born in the fifties who are stuck in this conventional way of seeing things and there's, you know, nothing to change their minds. Um, and actually I just went on a radio show here in my hometown, Janesville, Wisconsin, which is a very conventional, you know, very closed minded um, city. And I've, I've kind of learned how to talk to people about this, uh, I one I have to be the the example. I have to be the the um, inspiration. I have to know what I'm talking about. And when people see that I'm knowledgeable about it, when people you know when actually people are kind of open to talking about it, but a lot of the times when I do talk to somebody about um, psychedelics, um, their their replies to me is, well, I, I'm too afraid because so many people have told me that I'm I'm, I'm going to go crazy. And so, you know, we, we, we've come from a society that has taught us, um, you know, for, that drugs are bad. I mean, I was in the D.A.R.E. program when I was seven years old and uh, made a vow that I would never do uh, drugs ever. 
And luckily, thankfully, I broke that vow to myself, <laughs> seven. Um, but Indeed. What, I think that the, the medical field, I, you know, I've, I've been talking to some people who, who even know psychiatrists who are realizing that these things aren't working. I think that people are starting to wake up to the fact that we're not getting anywhere. And I think that people want to change at this point. I, I think that people truly do want to cure their, you know, if they're dealing with inner, inner turmoil, they actually want to find a cure. And a lot of people who are on these antidepressants, they know. They know that it's not helping them. It's just masking them. It's just helping them soldier through the day. Um, and yeah. so, you know, the the median age for depression, severe depression, is, is age 32. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, a lot of people have settled down from college and gotten their jobs and, you know, have, have created a repetition for themselves every morning, a morning routine. Well, once you do that, the brain kind of gets stuck in that, and that's where, you know, that's where other, you know, sadness comes from because, you know, people aren't getting – people are, have been cheated out of their true potential in life. I, I, I truly believe that. Um, from what the government puts out and what, what, how we've created society for, for ourselves. So I've kind of gotten a little off track here, but I think um, no, you know, you're fine. I've, um, when I started to get into psychedelics, you know, it was 2010, and I would try to talk about it to my mom and, you know, to other family members, and they thought that I had completely lost my mind. Well, I've noticed a shift with a lot of people uh, a lot of people that I, I wasn't able to talk to, I, I've noticed that a lot of people are more open-minded. And I think the medical industry is going to become more op, um, open-minded too, especially with the scientific studies underway. In fact, you know, it's not only about mental health. Um, ayahuasca, they just did a study on that it actually can cure diabetes. Um, because the reason why people have diabetes is because of uh, the beta cells uh, that reside in the pancreas um, and they produce insulin. And when you have diabetes, you barely have beta cells. And what ayahuasca contains is this chemical called harmine, which is present in, um, you know, various plants, but it is in ayahuasca. And it can actually make the human beta cells proliferate at levels that may be relevant for uh, diabetes treatment. So, there, you know, there's other uses for, for ayahuasca and these other drugs. It's not only for mental health. Um, right, it, it, right. Uh, people are being cured of their cancer uh, from ayahuasca. Right. So. You know, with the, with, the, with the more science behind it, and, and it is very, very hard for these studies. Um, the Institute uh, of, uh, let me think, of London, uh, they just did a study on psilocybin mushrooms. You know, they, they reaffirmed, again, that it can cure uh, depression and anxiety. Uh, cure it, like literally cure it. Um, and see right, these scientific right, studies out. You, you cannot deny science anymore. You know, when you have, you know, have all these studies that prove that, these plant medicines can do way more than any pharma, uh, 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 pharmaceutical drug could. People cannot deny it anymore, including the medical field, anybody in the medical field. So I think it's just going to become more open and, and accepted within the next few years. Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, you were talking about the, that you were going to the medical thing. I was talking about this just this past Sunday, uh, Matt, and what, you know, my, my concern from the standpoint of individuals, you know, like, like the three of us are and many of my listeners, you know, it's about individual liberty, free market and all that stuff, uh, which that, that make, makes a lot of sense. And 
the Hippocratic Oath is an important thing. And, and one of my complaints about our medical society, and, and it seems like the nurses, of course, like always, are coming around. Women are so smart. They, that are coming around. <laughs> and obviously there, are, obviously there are male nurses. But, you know, you guys know what I'm saying. Nurses are just smart people. And, and, and they have come around to alternatives faster than doctors have. For whatever reason, you know, the Hippocratic Oath is pretty clear. And yet, and I don't care if you're in the military, the VA, it doesn't make any difference where you are. You're supposed to first have the, this is the argument like with the death penalty and, and, and putting in people in lethal ejection and having a doctor do it because it's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Why, you know, your experience, Matt, in talking to the medical community on the basis of offering you the best way to get well outside of the pharma, pharmacology with the big pharma, what's your experience with that? Uh, well, when I first um, started um, exploring psychedelics in general, uh, the, the rhetoric was was exactly what, what Macy's talking about. Um, they they said I would go crazy um, if you take a certain amount of of psilocybin, or if you take a certain amount of lysergic acid, acid diethylamine, that you will actually be certifiably crazy. That was the rhetoric. Um, and uh, I, I've also noticed a, a big change recently in America. It's not just um, the few people that I reach out to and talk to, but there are more and more people coming to me, people that that used to be completely against the idea of using any kind of illegal Schedule One substance to treat anything. And um, they're starting to reach out and, and, and seek out these kind of things. Um, the vast majority of the the medical community now um they they do a lot of them do understand that that uh, their their treatments aren't exactly working um when i got here to to colorado uh one of the first questions of course i had to ask um my va doctors was so you know i'm in colorado now this is legal um what do you think about cannabis and to my surprise the the doctor said um you know, if you haven't tried it yet, I suggest that you do. Um, it might help you. I can't say that it will or won't, but it might help you. The only thing is that I just can't give you your opiate narcotics anymore. And I was so fed up with those things, I was just like, okay, fine, take me off. Sure. And it sure. was it was really hard there for a little while, but um, it was the best thing I've ever done. I never looked back. Um, the amount of acceptance that I've got since starting my my um, psychedelic journeys or um, uh, journeys with other plant medicines like ayahuasca and iboga have been overwhelmingly good um, from the VA medical establishment. Um, I, you know they're 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 skeptical, of course, um, but they are open to the idea that these things work. Most of them have seen. I mean, at least my mental health practitioner. Um, you know, she's she's a nurse. She's a, a nurse slash PA, I believe, and um, or an LPN. So um, she's she's also not on the doctor side of things, but she's remarkably accepting of uh, all of the advances that I've managed to make using psychedelic medicines. And uh, I, I think that that really uh, we're we're starting to see a renaissance in in how we think about mental health in our country. And uh, I, I think I think that a lot of mental uh, health professionals they're starting to realize um, that psychedelics, in a lot of ways, are sort of the 
the ideal model psychiatric drugs. They do all of the things that the big pharma companies claim that their medicines do. These plant medicines actually do it. It's really that simple, you know? Without the, without the either the, the the well without I guess I would call it without the chemical besides the physical side effects because that 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 and of course again I haven't had experienced the that kind of a cocktail that you, that you guys have done but it seems to me like the, the side effects may see to, to some of this stuff is chemical based as well as oh my god I, I my liver sh- shut down I I got full on jaundice my my kidneys began to shut down. Um, sure. That uh, that was sort of my breaking point when I realized I had to do something different, or else they were going to kill me with these pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no doubt. You know, it, it seems to me that we were talking about the medical profession, and, and it's glad, I'm glad to hear that that you're mad that they're acting properly. But you know, it, it, it's that's to me the first thing that came to my head is well, they should be because they're seeing a patient before their eyes, Macy, get well. I mean, you're, you're a mental health professional in your life. You know, I don't know how much time you're spending with them, but if you sat down and talked to them now, they would see a different person than what they were trying to pollute with these drugs. And Matt was talking about how, you know, and both of you talked about how, you know, they, they qualify you as crazy. Well, Macy, the stuff that you were taking makes you just as crazy as anything that they could predict that was happening on something they weren't being honest about, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, I mean, on, I'm sorry, but on, on psychedelics, I've never felt the need to kill myself. And on antidepressants, right. I, I did. Um, so I would say that, you know, I, I, I would be more crazy taking those antidepressants and masking my emotions rather than facing my emotions and actually bringing them to surface and trying to understand them. I think that kind of makes me less crazy, you know. So yeah. I, I, I would think so. Agree. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I deal with people who, you know, say, oh, this girl's taken too many drugs and whatnot, but I am extremely knowledgeable on this, and I I don't feel, you know, within the almost seven years that I have been experimenting with psychedelics, I I feel like my brain is actually um, stronger, and I'm able to react, you know, um, better. I have, you know, my comebacks. I know what to, to say. I mean, I really don't think that it has screwed with my head in any sense, or, you know, screwed with my receptors at all. But I think if I had been on an antidepressant, and so one of my family members bringing this up um, uh, has been on, oh, God, I, I would say, Matt, close to 12 uh, pills a day. And um, she was actually, she just had brain surgery for a tumor. So I think that a lot of these pharmaceuticals, when you mix them, when, you're, when you mix these drugs, you know, a lot of these doctors don't even know what the effects could be if you're mixing 12 pills together, but it could be long-term. And we don't have those studies yet because some of these drugs have not been around that long. So, you know, it, it could, you know, in fact, help to grow a tumor. And so, you know, I, I look at that and I look at people who have, you know, you know switched to a plant-based, uh, not necessarily diet, but switched to plant medicine. And they don't have these issues when they're older. All right. It's so true, and that's a that's such a big part of what you guys are doing, and what we talk about in all aspects of this is the fact that number one, these things have been around forever since plants were a thing. I think it was at day <laughs> six, five, or whatever day that was. Since plants have been a thing, they've been around, 
you know, I mean, we can look at that, you know, and I'm not trying to throw religion in the game, but you all get where I'm going with this. And, <laughs> yeah. and, it's like, you know, and yet these drugs that they're creating on a daily basis to the Petri dish, they're trying to say, well, they're better than these other things, and yet there's no evidence. Matt, help me out here. You know, what, what, what's going on? What are they doing? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, tell you the truth, uh, because of this this egregious problem that we have in America, I had to found my own advocacy group, Veterans for Natural Rights. Um, you know, our, our, our basic essential mission uh, can be encapsulated best by the phrase, no one is free so long as nature is illegal. If right. we're not free okay. to stick a seed into the ground and just watch it grow and then enjoy the fruits of our labor then we're really just slaves of a, of a of a glorified state that's just going to take more and more of our god-given rights away and uh put us more and more in their cage. So um you know what I, you know I, what I, I tell you what I will give up all drugs natural otherwise and just drink wine if they would just let me grow hemp for Christ. Absolutely <laughs> and I, believe it or not in 2014 I got one of the first uh uh hemp licenses in America. Um, I grew my first crop that year. It was no more than 19 plants that I had um, gathered from the wild, actually, from from roadside stands. And, and I, I bought a few seeds from people who had done the same, and I, I mixed them all together. And uh, um, now I'm growing my own strain of Highland Colorado hemp. Um, and uh, we've got some really interesting um, – uh, phenotypes that are popping out of the recessive trait mix. <laughs> I, I love hearing that. We're, we're, we're going to have to talk about more about that offline because I, I, I'm I'm involved in the hemp industry as well, and in, in, in a number of different <laughs> ways. And I I love hearing that stuff without out. So so Macy, you're you're doing you're you're going to do the wellness center. You got to talk about what that's about. What your plan is there. Tell us about that. Okay. Oh, this is my favorite topic. Um, so actually, what I'm planning to do in Acapulco is, it's not just going to be, you know, just centered around, I mean, it, the, the base is ayahuasca. I want, you know, I want that medicine to be um, uh, not acceptable. What is the word I'm looking for here? Accessible um, to people. And I, sure. I feel like Acapulco is a great area to do this. It's not in the United States. I don't have a lot of government regulations to work with it. But I've also brought on um, I brought on a business partner. He is a chiropractor. And actually, when we first started talking, I thought, well, why, why didn't I think about this before? So what chiropractors do is they're not just popping joints. They're actually working with the nervous system. So I thought, well, what, right. what a cool combo. We have, you know, I will be helping to adjust the mind, and he helps to adjust the nervous system. We also have a massage therapist on board because uh, I, I truly feel that human touch is very essential. And um, during my first ceremony, we were, we were at a convention center after the conference. And so I was just kind of rudely and jolt, you know, jolted back into reality. And so my readjustment period was a little bit more tough because, um, you know, I, 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 how I explain ayahuasca is it's like you're in a cavern and the lights are all on and you can see for miles and you can see these crystal formations and just this beauty in this cave and then somebody shuts off the light and hands you a flashlight. And in the Western culture, um, ayahuasca treatment is taboo. So, you know, I came right back to the United States, and nobody really understood what I was going through. And, you know, I, I had this 
pretty challenging readjustment period. So I don't want that for my clients. I want a place right. where they, it, it's very gentle, where you're being touched, where you're being worked on. Um, the chiropractor is also a yoga instructor. So we're going to have you know, him be doing yoga, and there's going to be a plant-based diet that I would like to incorporate into the retreat. And then I would also, I would love to bring in an oxygen therapist because we are not getting enough oxygen to our brains. So I really want it to be a place where we are not only just healing our minds, we are healing our bodies as well and kind of um, centering everything, the mind, body, and spirit together. I want a, I, I really want to build a retreat that's built around love and acceptance. And so when you, when you do go back into the real world, you're, it's a gentle integration in, instead of what I got my first time, which was rough. And I'm very excited to see the retreat that I'm going to. I know that they have an art center, and I, I'm, you know, I'm still brainstorming ideas of, of what I want for this retreat. But an art center sounds so cool, and you know, if, if people want to create, you know, and um, I would like to be by the beach. Uh, we're still picking out the land for it, uh, but I would like to be by the beach or at least have a driver, um, so my clients can go wherever they want you know, and, and really have that freedom to explore. Because when you take ayahuasca, uh, at least in my experience, I realized how beautiful the human experience is and, and it shouldn't be wasted. And so I, I, I really want that for my clients. And like I said, when they, when they do go back into the real world, it's a general integration. Um, I'm also, you know, I didn't have access to my shaman after uh, I did my ayahuasca ceremony. So what I'm also going to be doing is I'm going to be calling my clients um, after two weeks, after they go back home, and just check on them and see how they are. And, you know, if they're working through some things, because you go back to reality, you know, and that's, you know, that's a, that can be a challenging integration period. So, uh, you know, every week I'm going to be calling my clients to see how they are for the first, you know, six months and uh, help them out through their readjustment period and whatnot and, and just making sure that they're okay. That's excellent stuff. You know, the, the, I, I think I think I'll take the first reservation. We can talk. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll awesome. talk. The, the chiropractor. The chiropractor thing is 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 another. I mean, that's just another area of medicine that is phenomenal. The the, the I, I actually my chiropractor here, who I barely see because she's in downtown. I'm I'm away from downtown Atlanta, but uh, she introduced me to the knowledge of what's really going on with proper wellness. I call it wellness as well because, like you said, they're opening up your body and making everything work in sync, essentially. And, and that's what's helping with the nervous system as well. And, and she put me through this test where it had a reading as to what my areas were that needed work and showed it to me and everything. And it was, it was very, very educational. And that's a great combination that you're adding there, without doubt. And, Matt, you are involved. You have been on a number of shows. That I know you've been involved with some documentaries about you and about organizations that you're with and the subject matter that you're involved with. Talk a little bit about where Veterans for Natural Rights is going and your other work is happening right now. Uh, yeah, actually it was really good to hear uh, Macy talk about um, a retreat center because uh, eventually that yeah. that is Second actually our going. goal too. Um, oh, our, our goal is to establish a retreat center here in the United States, believe it or not, um, we want to push the boundaries. We want to push the legislation. Um, so uh, the, the the inspiration for this is really before we went down to Peru, we went through a number of candidates uh, for the trip, um, and, and we settled on six. Uh, there was one person who could not go. He was uh, 
he was stuck in in Iowa, um, and uh, he couldn't he couldn't come with us unfortunately. And and a month after we got back, about a month or two, um, he ended up committing suicide. His name is Brandon Ketchum, mm-hmm. and you can see his name all over the uh, the news. Um, he tried to admit himself to a VA hospital. He asked for help. He said, I need inpatient help. I'm going to kill myself. And they told him to go home. It wasn't but hours mm-hmm. later, he was dead. And um, that has really uh, changed the way that I think about these plant medicines. I, I thought to myself before going down to Peru, hey, you know, like this is what everybody should do. You know, everybody should just go down to Peru. But but wait a second, there's a lot of people out there, especially disabled vets, who who simply, they, they either can't afford to or they can't leave the state that they're in. Sometimes they can't leave the state that they're in because they're having custody issues with with a, a, a wife that um, can't handle their PTSD, and they're trying sure. to get over it. So uh, in a lot of ways, I've seen the need for bringing the medicine to the veteran. And or and or bringing the medicine to the, the civilian sufferer for, from PTSD, um, this is it, it's a huge problem. If people can't get out of their state, let's say they can only afford you know a hundred dollars or something like that, they can't afford you know a uh, several hundred dollar plane ticket down to to Mexico or a thousand dollar plane ticket down to Peru, and then the cost of residency at any one of those spots so um our eventual goal really is legalizing all natural plant medicines for Mm -hmm. every american period we very simply put as veterans we want the freedom that we fought bled sweated and died for and yeah you know that's a a great thing say that again because i i I, yeah like I like that stuff. Say that one more time. Just throw it out there. As With, Veterans for Natural Rights, very simply put, we won't stop until we get the freedom we fought, bled, sweated, and died for overseas. Absolutely. We you know, there's need, the one thing. The yeah. one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell people, you know, when I have the discussions about veterans, for example, you know, as I tell them, I said, you know, here I am. I'm 17 years old and. I joined. I, I wasn't drafted. I joined, and I actually read the stuff on the wall, you know, and I listened to the oath that I took, you know. And we essentially just say, okay, here's our life. Do it it what you want to, which is the ultimate sacrifice, regardless of whether or not you have a sacrifice or you get through it the way I did, which is better than what you did, for example. But it's all relevant, and and a lot of people do that, and yet and yet the way that we're treated and dismissed and the problems that we go through on the basis of what we did for the country is absurd. And then you throw on top of it the plant medicine aspect of it, cannabis, everything else that we're talking about here. I don't get it. I, I just, I don't get it. Well, I do get it. It's, it's like I said, it's aliens, <laughs> government tyranny, whatever. I mean, it, it, it's, that's the only, ex- only explanation because there's nothing logical about it. It, it is literally... Insane. So we're getting down to the end of the show. So I, what I want to do is we got about 15 minutes left. So, Macy, I want you to give me something in closing. Say what you want. Talk about whatever you want relative to what we're talking about here. Go for it. 
Well, first I have to say, Matt, that's beautiful. I am. I will support you all the way through this. Uh, I think I, I'm. You're doing something that I don't even want to do, which is you know fight fight for the freedoms that you fought for, and um, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And and I definitely support your your uh, your methods and and the way that you're trying to help people who are are really seriously in need of that help. Um, so that's great. I, I I really appreciate your effort towards that. Um, as for my closing, I guess to anybody uh, listening, um, open your minds to other, other you know, things, that, things that are unconventional. One of the th- best things that Terrence McKenna said is what psychedelics do is it opens you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. And I can guarantee that is, that is absolutely a true statement once you, once you start to experiment with your consciousness. I think one of the things that people are afraid of with these psychedelics is that they're ultimately afraid that they're going to have a bad trip. And what that means to me is that they are afraid of themselves. And you should never be afraid of yourself. It is only your mind. These, it's not the psychedelics. You know, the psychedelics are just there to enhance what is already you. And um, so I, I think that uh, giving it a chance, starting out with a low dose of, you know, what I did first with psilocybin, I started really low with a low dose of a half eighth. And um, it is it is truly and honestly cured my depression and my anxiety. Um, many other types of psychedelics have helped too, especially especially ayahuasca. It has it has really cured a lot of my my um, emotional turmoil and and the way that I used to talk to myself. I talked to myself in a way more nurturing way. I think one of the best things that you get out of psychedelics is that you learn how to, like Matt said, forgive yourself and truly, truly love yourself for who you are and realize that you are just a product of your environment and that's it and that's not a big deal. Uh, once you bring those dark sides of yourself to light, you can move on, you learn how to cope and, and they're not as dark as you once thought. Yeah, it, it, that's amazing the way you say that and that is so true and and I want to thank you so much for coming on, Macy, to the show. And and, and you're welcome anytime. I'll, I'll we, we can cover this every week. I don't care. The, the, <laughs> these, these things are important. Uh, it's, it's, there's so many things that are not as important as what we're talking about because again, people are dying as a result. So Matt, we're we're like I said, we're coming down to the show and at the end of the show. And why don't you dive in and and tell us what's the most important thing in your future to this and whatever you want to say? Uh, well, Veterans for Natural Rights, we plan on, on fighting assaults on freedom on all fronts. Um, it doesn't really matter uh, what aspect of freedom they're trying to attack, we're going to defend it. Um, whether it, we're talking about civil asset forfeiture, ending the drug war in general, um, whether we're talking about equal rights for all people, um, regardless of uh, race, class, religion, or sexual orientation, uh, we we will lobby on all of those issues, issues and we will uh, push for additional legislation on on all of those things. The fact is, is that um, these plant medicines, they're viable and extremely safe treatment options for the vast majority of people, and for some people. They're the only thing that works. They're the only medication that is actually effective for what ails them. So um, in the future, we're going to move into uh, a lot of different legislation um, that, that, is, that we see to be assaulting American freedom and, and the natural rights of the individual. 
natural rights being very simply uh, the rights that you're born with as a human being. Um, the reason why we have the First Amendment to protect free speech, it's not because the government gifts us with the ability for free speech. The fact is, is that we are born with the ability of, of free speech because we have lips and a mouth with which to speak. Imagine so, that. Uh, yeah. Um, the only thing that actually limits people's free speech is the fear in their mind of any repercussions. So, um, really, we, we're, all, we're all born with a certain amount of natural freedom. And sticking a seed in the ground, watching it grow, and enjoying the fruits of your labor, that's one of them. And that's the thing that we plan on working on the most in the next coming year. Um, another th uh, project that we've been involved in is something called Soldiers of the Vine. And um, uh, Soldiers of the Vine was uh, basically the, the film produced from our trip down to Peru. And um, six of us went down there. We uh, undertook a 10-day dieta, um, three ayahuasca sessions, and we produced a, a, a two-part series from um, the footage that we took down there. And we also have additional footage from, from Crossroads in Mexico where we took Iboga and the Sonoran Toad Venom. Um, we're planning on uh, continuing the series and uh, uh, getting together with some Native American shamans from the Peyote indigenous tradition and the San Pedro indigenous tradition and um, undertaking ceremonies for those plant medicines also. We're exploring all options for the treatment of PTSD and mental illness of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to stop until there's no one left who's killing themselves over this. Everyone needs access to these plants. This is the basic natural right of all human beings, and we won't stop until everyone has it back. Fantastic. I have to tell you guys, I, you know, I've talked to you both uh, offline about Amber Lyon and her work in this area and I was just looking at her page today and I was reminded because I'd seen this previously and, I, and I'm going to sit and watch it there's a documentary about relative to this as well if you haven't heard of it check it out it's called Drink the Jungle uh, and it's hmm. all about what you're talking about um, and, and if you go to reset.me uh, which is Amber's site you can find that there and, and I, you know you guys are great people, and and what you're doing, you know, once you once you were able to get yourself handled, instead of you know moving on with your life and doing what you're doing, you dove in the way that you have, and I have to applaud that immensely. And Matt, I've got to tell you, I was really glad that you were saying all those things about natural rights because it saves me from having to do it at the end of the show because you've already <laughs> covered that area. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now I just have to remind everybody that I take liberty in my coffee, and 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 we're good. <laughs> I don't anything else. As do I. Uh, absolutely. So I really appreciate you both coming on. Thank you so much. And uh, and like I said, you're you're welcome on any time. I look forward to working with you guys too because you we overlap in a lot of areas. And and I'm out there and and I I want to help as well. And 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 let's let's get it done. Let's let's fix this crap. I'm so there. Uh, Let's do it, and, I am and with you guys you. be well. And uh, yeah, hundred percent. You guys be well, and uh, stop by anytime. Thank you so much Thank for having me on. Thank you so much, Bobby. 
Thank you, Matt. It was You're nice welcome. meeting you. Nice meeting you, too. <laughs> Bye. All right, everybody. So that, that I, I, I'm so happy with this show. It was really educational, which was the most important part about it. But talk about some wonderful people. You know, activism is activism is, and advocacy is like herding cats, to say the least. And when, but the great part about it, and, and this has happened in my life. I've been doing this a long time, and, and unfortunately, our government makes me do it. I'd rather be on the lake, you know, just so everybody knows. But it's wonderful when you meet people. It's funny. I was, I was, as I was doing the show, I, I'm getting text messages from some friends who are also advocates and activists who are listening to the show and chiming in and, and liking it. And, and you know, and, and this is what it's all about. You know, making, meeting great people and accomplishing things and helping our fellow men and women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, I feel like. Uh, this is another door that's opened with some great people on the other side, and, and I was happy to, to be involved in this conversation. So, uh, you know, as I tell you guys all the time, Coffee Party Radio comes at you uh, most of the week. We have a number of shows. Tomorrow night, A Cup of Joe will be on, Human Solution International, Human Rights Organization, also focusing on cannabis among uh, as, long, as well as other areas. The wonderful thing about a couple of Joe, and that's eight o'clock Eastern, five Pacific. One of, one of the wonderful things, a lot of wonderful things about uh, Human Solution International. One of the great things is that when they're on the show, there'll be a call on the show from people behind the walls. Their prisoner out, outreach involvement is massive and fantastic. I mean, talk about giving a connection to life for people who are, you know, people who are in jail for a plant, essentially. And you, if you listen to the show, you'll you hear stories and, and you'll hear from people who are behind the wall and, you know, who are walking on the prison yards uh, and, and they're giving them access to the world and they're talking about issues with them and they're giving them support and they're pushing for things to happen in their favor and working on clemency and it's a great thing. On Thursday, we do Lunch with Loudon and Living Room Conversation. So for the next three, four weeks, we're going to be doing Lunch with Loudon and we're going to be running through a number of shows, both live and and recorded that talk about issues that are prevalent today because we're now having a changing of the guard, per se. Uh, new Congress, new president, et cetera. Uh, of course, the law, there's always new policy, new advocacy, new arguments, et cetera. And, and, and Lunch with Loudon, we're going to be covering a bunch of things like that. That's the great Janine Loudon, one of the directors of the coffee, a longtime director of the coffee party, one of my fellow directors. And then on Friday, we have the weekly constitutional at oh, Lunch with Loudon, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. And then we have the week of Constitutional on Fridays, 3 Eastern Time, noon Pacific. And then on Saturday, we have Egberto Willis, another coffee party director, and a director on Move to Amend. Politics done right at 1 o'clock Eastern Time on Saturday, 10 o'clock Pacific. And then I'm on every Sunday morning. I take leave with my coffee, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. And I hope everybody joins in. And we're going to be pushing in the new year and stomping our feet and yelling loud and Shouting from the rooftops uh, in, in honor of Eleanor Goldfield. And, and I take liberty with my coffee is going to start being broadcast on terrestrial radio in Colorado. Uh, I actually just put that together today. Finally, I should have done that a couple weeks ago. So I'm excited about that. Anytime that we can syndicate and get the message out there, you know, why not? Uh, that's what it's all about. So we're going to be expanding our message, which is kind of exciting. I'm going to be bringing in some new shows. So everybody have a fantastic rest of the week. Don't scream too loud. You know, take a chill pill. If you can 
if you can get some plant medicine in your life, do it immediately. It'll fix a lot of things. Take care. Have a good one. I'm out.